I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And here in this chapter, we find that foundation that we had just sung about being so firm, uh, one being founded in the Lord Jesus Christ, one in which we know the Lord will never forsake us. Uh, We see that at work here. And we see the people of God, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young Hebrew boys in a foreign land, uh, being forced to bow before an image, them standing firm upon the foundation that is the Lord Jesus Christ and God with them, even through the flames. And so an encouraging, uh, moving uh, story in the history of God's people, and one that I'm very excited uh, to bring uh, to us uh, this morning or this afternoon at this point. So Daniel chapter 3, we've been working our way through this uh, great book of Daniel, and here we come to chapter 3, and I'll read uh, the whole chapter. This is the holy and inspired word of God. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon who had exiled uh, Jerusalem and all its inhabitants, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60, uh, 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree. That every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace." Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, And saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree... Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So far from God's holy word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, The image of a burning, fiery furnace, uh, not something that appeared before us at numerous points in this story, uh, was something, an image that was branded upon the minds of God's people ever since God rescued them from Egypt. The image of a fiery furnace was something that God's people always had before them as that which the Lord can rescue them from. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Um, As God is reminding them that they are to be careful lest they be uh, exiled from the land of God as we find here in Daniel. And he says in Daniel chapter 4 verse 20, reminding the people that the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are to this day. Later in Israel's history, when King Solomon builds the temple where God would dwell with his people, he's reminding them um, that if they sin against the Lord and they find themselves away from the land, that they are to pray to the temple of God, and there God would hear them and rescue them. And Solomon includes in his prayer this explanation, saying in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 51, They are your people and your heritage, 
which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Again, the furnace was an image that was branded upon the minds of the people of God. It was to speak of a situation in which they find themselves completely helpless, completely hopeless, and nothing but God himself could be their rescue and their deliverer. And so we see here in a real story, a furnace itself brought before the people of God as a threat if they were to worship the one true and living God. And here we find the Lord again delivering his people in a wonderful way. And so as we think about this chapter here, I want to think about it in three points. Uh, First, a conflict to recognize. Secondly, a confession to make. And then thirdly, a Christ to trust. So a conflict to recognize, a confession to make, and a Christ to trust. And so first we come to think about a conflict to recognize. King Nebuchadnezzar, as you read about here in verse 1, it says, made an image of gold. And this image that King Nebuchadnezzar makes is one that is in complete defiance to what we read about earlier in chapter 2. Earlier in chapter 2, God had sent a dream to King Nebuchadnezzar in which he revealed to him that his kingdom, though it be the head of gold of that image, will be surpassed by another kingdom. That King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will not remain forever, but another kingdom will arise in its place. And so in defiance of that message from God, King Nebuchadnezzar says not only the head will be gold, but the entire image itself will be gold as a defiant claim that the Lord's prophecy, the Lord's history will not come to pass and that his kingdom will have no end. And so King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this image as it tells us on the plains of Dora, as it says in verse 2. The plains of Dora again bring us back, as we've noted a number of times already in Daniel, uh, to the city of Babel that was built long ago back in Genesis chapter 11. It's the same place in which Babylon is being now constructed. And the same principles, as we said, that were at work in Babel, the desire to make a lasting name for ourselves, and the desire to defy the Lord's command to spread out among the earth, the same principle is now at work in Babel and Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is establishing this city, and this image is meant to reflect the fact that he believes that his name will last forever. His kingdom will not fade. And the unity that his kingdom is bringing about will reverse God's curse by which he had spread the nations out amongst the face of the earth. Right? It's why we have all these lists given to us in uh, this chapter here. That King Nebuchadnezzar is not just gathering the wise men, but he's gathering all of the representatives of his empire, which seemed to stretch amongst, uh, along the entire earth. Right? It says that he brought before him the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials. He's, bringing, he's in, in a sense, gathering the nations to come and worship the image that he had set up. And so this begins to move us into this conflict. We don't know what's going to take place yet. We know Daniel, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, faithful servants of the Lord their God, are there in Babylon. We're not yet told what happens with them. But here, the conflict it, um, comes to a point. And so regarding this image, we read also that it's not only 
an image that King Nebuchadnezzar uh, sets up that is of massive size. It says 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. Uh, some measurements find that to be about 90 feet tall. And so if a story of a building is 10 feet, think of a nine-story building. That's a massive image that King Nebuchadnezzar sets up. But as we begin to think about this image, the one thing that the text over and over again emphasized to us is that this is an image that, as we've been saying, that King Nebuchadnezzar set up over and over again. It reminds us of that truth. For example, chapter 3, verse 1 King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Then in chapter 2, it ends by saying that they were to bow down and and come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And then later at the end of verse uh, 3, the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And again in verse 3, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Seven times it tells us this, right? Trying to make a point here. That this image is one that has its source of life, its origin, not in what is eternal, but in a, a creature, in Nebuchadnezzar himself. It's his image that he has set up. And this is important for us to begin to recognize as we think about this, this conflict. That the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, and therefore has its origin from King Nebuchadnezzar, is lifeless. It's dead. It's just gold, right? It might be valuable, it might be precious, but it cannot think, it cannot hear, it cannot see, it cannot smell. It is a lifeless image. Nebuchadnezzar cannot create image bearers who have life to respond like the God uh, who has made us. Rather, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a lifeless image. And this begins to, again, move us more into understanding the conflict here. There's a principle at work throughout the Bible and even here that's laid out in Psalm 115 regarding lifeless and worshiping lifeless images. It says there in Psalm 115, just to read the first eight verses, the psalmist says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And notice this. Their idols, right? The images that they have set up, the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, their their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but they do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, And they do not make a sound in their throat. And notice what happens to those who worship such things. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. The basic principle we find throughout the scripture, and we see here kind of the picture book version of it for us in Daniel 3, is that we become what we worship. You become what you worship. You begin to image that which you worship. And so as Nebuchadnezzar has set up a lifeless image, cannot see, cannot hear, cannot feel, cannot touch, all of those things, right? The lifeless image that King Nebuchadnezzar sets up causes those who worship them to be lifeless themselves. We see this 
depicted for us with all those who bow down to this image. Like robots, they hear the music play in a very odd kind of orchestra with every instrument brought about from the the different nations. As the music plays, they immediately bow down. It's, It's a robotic movement demonstrating that as they have bowed before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, they themselves are lifeless. They themselves have become what they worship. They themselves are are blind and deaf and mute. And that's how they're depicted here in a kind of comedic fashion. I think it's a number of commentators have noted, you know, why do we get these repeated long lists of peoples and instruments? And all of it's meant to be sort of monotonous and just um, uh, redundant and tedious. Again, to show the lifelessness of those who follow after idols, who follow after the images that man sets up. King Nebuchadnezzar demonstrates this himself. Later, and we'll get to this in a a moment here, but later when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before the king and refuse to bow down before him, it says there in verse 19 that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against them. And the word for expression here, it's the Aramaic word selim, it's the same word used regarding the image, uh, it's translated image in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image, it's selim, of gold. And now King Nebuchadnezzar, the one who set it up, has become like his image. You become what you worship. And we see this negatively, right, in terms of those who bow down before the image of God, uh, the image uh, that Nebuchadnezzar set up. But those then who worship the one true and living God are the ones who live. You become what you worship. If you worship dead and lifeless things, then you will be dead and lifeless. But if you worship the living God, you will find life. That's the paradox that's at work here in Daniel chapter 3 and will play itself out. Those who obey the the king's command and live, die. But those who disobey the commands, uh, the king's command and die, live. It's the basic paradox here, even that Jesus tells us, that those who will save their lives will lose it. But those who will lose their lives for his sake will find them. That's the basic principle at work uh, here. And so as we think about this, we recognize the conflict is one of idolatry. And the conflict here is one that persists throughout this age, and continues into our own day as well. Will we, will you, bow before the images that man sets up? Now, in our days, though there is a lot of movement in terms of spirituality and and Eastern mysticism and various other things in which things of nature are worshipped and bowed down before, but most of us aren't falling into uh, those kind of camps. And yet, Various images are set up that man is, is asked and required, really, to bow down before. We feel the pressure of that in our own days. One of the greatest images that man has set up, one of defiance and idolatry against the Lord, is the image of abortion. Right? It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reality, it's a right that man has claimed that you must uh, submit to. You must bow before and accept. And we see this playing out in the political sphere as well. Those who are, will be, who are unwilling to allow for abortion are often 
either not voted into office or kept out from office as well. The image of abortion is one that the church must stand against. It's a conflict. The same thing with transgenderism. The same thing with homosexuality. These are attacks upon the very image of God. Murder in the womb. Mutilation of the body that God has given us. Now, as we're going to see, there is forgiveness for those who fall into such things. But then, these are the idols of our age. The idols that we are asked to bow down before. And the churches that wear the the LGBTQ plus flag on their church doors are those who have bowed before the image of the beast. The image like King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. This is the basic conflict. These are not neutral things, but things that we must recognize that there is a religious principle behind it. Just as King Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to worship the golden image that he set up, so too we are called and required in this age to worship such things. And that is the great conflict before us. And yet the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that we might be able to test and discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so that is the basic conflict that we need to recognize, the conflict that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego endured. The fiery furnace is one that continues throughout God's people, and we, like them, as we move to our second point, must make the same confession as them. And so we've seen the conflict And secondly, we move to think about a confession that we ought to make. A confession that we ought to make. And this is all the more fitting uh, this Lord's Day, especially as we had just before us, uh, the profession of faiths of Joseph and Paul, Elena, and Antonia as well. And if you noticed in the profession that they gave their word to, one of the vows that they had given asked them this, Do you declare that you love the Lord? And that it is your heartfelt desire to serve him according to his word, to forsake the world, to put to death your old nature, and to lead a godly life. Now yes, before them was no fiery furnace for making uh, that profession. Uh, We're very thankful for the rights and the freedoms that we have to profess publicly the name of Christ uh, before this world. But don't lose sight of the fact that the same faith Behind their profession and your profession is the same faith that was behind the profession of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before King Nebuchadnezzar. It is a profession that says, I will forsake the world. It is a profession that says, I will follow the Lord, come what may. I will follow the Lord in life and in death if it comes to that. And so while we don't feel the fires and the flames like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had before them. The same faith undergirds their profession as it undergirds our profession today as well. And so let's think about the confession that they make before King Nebuchadnezzar. So these Chaldeans come forward. At this point in the story, you might ask, well, you know, what is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing? We haven't heard anything about them at this point. Well, these Chaldeans come forward. These were some wise men, and likely they might have been jealous or hurt because earlier, uh, because of what Daniel had done, God had elevated Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel um, as those who were over uh, the wise men. And so The Chaldeans themselves might have been uh, kicked off their throne. They seem to have been sort of the king's top wise men. And now the uh, the king um, has set up these uh, Jewish boys. 
And so they come forward out of jealousy, and they remind the king of his command. You do not command that when the music plays that everyone's to bow down and worship. They go on to say in verse 12, Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so King Nebuchadnezzar has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego appear before them. And he ushers this challenge to them. He ushers this challenge to them. At the end of verse 15, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And again, as we ourselves live in a world in which there is idolatry that we must stand against, and there are attacks upon the image of God that we must stand against. The same question, right? It's kind of a representative question that the world might pit to you as a challenge. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God who will save you from the powers that be at this, in this world for not obeying and not bowing down and engaging in such idolatry? Again, it's a challenge that we face every, every day. And the challenge that we must take up, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then we have before us, as they hear this challenge, uh, this wonderful confession, this powerful confession. As they trusted in the Lord their God. As they stood upon the firm foundation that was laid for them in God's word, which they trusted even before the flames, even before the great king Nebuchadnezzar. You might ask, well, where is the source of their strength? What's the source of their courage? How were they able to stand before such a great king? Well, again, they were founded upon his word. They trusted what God had said. And it was God at work giving them grace in their time of need. It's often something that we need to be, I think, reminded of. Not all of us will face such a situation, but it may come. And even, our, even lesser things that we might feel timid and afraid, we might say, well, how am I going to stand in the day of trial? How will I stand before the king as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, take heart that God's grace is often like manna, right? Sufficient does he, is it for the day. And, and what it requires then is that we trust the Lord that when we are brought to those situations that he will give us the grace to stand. He will give us the grace to be courageous and bold. And he will do so even as he did so with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God is the source of their strength. And God sustains them here. They had heard Daniel pray earlier in chapter 2. Remember we had said last week how, especially in chapter 2, the curtains of world power and what seems ferocious and fierce at times is pulled back. And we see behind them God himself, our God, as the one who, as Daniel says, changes times and seasons removes kings and sets up kings, gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. They trusted in their God as the sovereign of kings, the one over kings, and they stood firm and boldly, courageously, unafraid, professed that they will not bow down to the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. They say in verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You might say, well, why, why preface their words like this? Well, remember the, what Daniel's name means. Daniel, God is my judge. They entrusted themselves to their God. 
who sets up kings and removes kings. For them, they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, who assumed to be the judge of all the earth. But they had no need to answer him in this matter because they entrusted themselves to the true judge, the one who himself will carry out his purposes. See, Nebuchadnezzar set himself up as judge with the punishment of flames, a fiery furnace. Little did Nebuchadnezzar know that the flames obey not Nebuchadnezzar, but the Lord. They are his flames, not Nebuchadnezzar's. And the fiery furnace, though Nebuchadnezzar thinks it's his, it's ultimately the Lord's. Over and over again, God shows himself that he is the true judge of all the earth, no matter what any earthly power may assume to itself. And therefore, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we entrust ourselves to him who judges rightly, him who judges justly. So Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, even regarding Christ himself, who endured the fiery furnace, who himself endured and was not spared from its flames. Peter says, if I can find it, in chapter uh, 2, there we go. He says this in chapter 2. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, as, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than for doing evil. And notice he says that in this way we follow the pattern of Christ, our Lord. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. He goes on to say uh, later that as Christ did so, he entrusted himself to he who judges justly. And so that's what we find here with Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had no need to answer because they knew who the true judge of all the earth was, and his will, his purposes, would be fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar could not thwart those. He could not overturn those. And the fiery furnace was ultimately not Nebuchadnezzar's, but the Lord's instrument. And therefore, they stand boldly before this king. They go on to say, In verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And so king, as they stand before this king, unwilling to bow, it's because of their confidence in their God to save them and keep them. They knew that it was God who set up kings and removes them, and it was God himself whom they trusted and believed his word, that he would be with them as he promised. Long ago in Deuteronomy, as we had read, that as they go into the flames and the fire, that God would be with them. And therefore they trusted. And they also not only had complete confidence in God, but they also had complete submission then to his will. Right? They trusted that God was with them, and therefore, no matter what was before them, even death itself, 
They knew that God would deliver them. Whether in this life or in the next. They were not certain that God would certainly spare them from the flames. But they glorified God and desired that God be glorified more than the safety of their own lives. Whether in life or in death, they would glorify their God. Is that your attitude? Is that your mindset? Is that the the posture of your faith in this life? In life or in death, I will bring glory to my God. And what more glory could they bring than to lay down their lives rather than to submit to the king's edict? What more glory could they bring than to say that our own lives are worthless in comparison to the glory of God? We will lay them down gladly before the king, before we bow down to what you have set up. And therefore, because they were trusting in their Lord, and because they were committed to his glory, they were completely submissive to his will, no matter what came. And therefore, they were able to stand before the king and make this great profession of their faith. Like Paul, they want to glorify God in their bodies, either by life or by death, as long as his name is exalted, as long as his name is glorified. And this stood so starkly in such a stark contrast to to the nature of Babylon. Babylon, as the Babel resurrected, was a place in which Nebuchadnezzar was making a name for himself. And here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived not for their own names, but that the name of their God would be exalted. And that's the secret to strength, to perseverance, to endurance, to courage in this life. Turning away from ourselves and being committed to the name of our God and trusting him. And so he says in verse 18, If it be not, um, let it be known to the king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image, and just to put a point on it, that you have set up. We know their origin. We know those who worship them become like them. We will worship the one true and living God. And though we die, yet we shall live. The one who saves his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life will find it. And so we've seen a conflict to recognize, a confession to make. And then thirdly, we think about a Christ to trust. And so as they make this profession before King Nebuchadnezzar, he orders the furnace to be Uh, Heated seven times hotter, seven being a symbolic number, just as hot as it could possibly be. The perfection of hotness, this this oven would burn to its maximum capacity. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are bound completely. And they're carried by mighty men from the king's army. These weren't weaklings. These were strong men coming before the flames of this fire. And as they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound before the fire, they themselves are consumed by the heat of that flame and die. Remember whose iron furnace this truly belongs to. And they cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego down into death, down into the flames. And in many ways, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they fell bound into the flames, they they fell from life into death. They fell into the realm of the dead where nothing living can be. The flames consume, the, the, the flames kill, the flames burn. And so when we see them falling, right, it is in a sense falling into a grave of fire. And they, as they've trusted their God, the question is, will their God 
deliver them as Nebuchadnezzar had asked and challenged them with. As they fall into death, as they, as they come against the, the greatest power the world can act against them, putting them to death, will God and the God whom they trusted in, will he deliver them? Well, as we know the story unfolds, Nebuchadnezzar, as he's standing there, looking at these ones who would defy his order, who would not bow before his image, he looks in utter astonishment. As he peers into death itself, he looks into the flames, he asks his his men next to him, did we not cast three men into those flames? And he said, true, O king, that's exactly what we did. Three men were thrown into the flames. Why then do I see four men unbound walking through the fire? And so Nebuchadnezzar cries out, and orders that they, they come out of the flames. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, having gone into death, emerge unsinged, their clothes unsinged, don't even have the smell of fire upon them. And they come unbound, unharmed, out of death itself. And the question that is always asked then, well, as God himself, who has delivered them from the king's furnace... As God himself has shown that he is the true judge, not King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Who is this fourth person? Calvin said it was an angel uh, who appeared before them on the Lord's behalf to deliver them. Others, like Henrik Bullinger and more modern commentaries, believe that this was the angel of the Lord, Christ pre-incarnate. That it was Jesus himself, before he came, taking on a full human form, came to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. But more than anything, rather than identifying this person, it tells us boldly and loudly that though we go through the flames and though we enter into death itself, God, our God, is with us. That's, that's their courage. That's their source of deliverance. That's everything undergirding. God is with us. In some sense, what we find in the furnace, or we can say rather, is that Christmas can come even to a fiery furnace. Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas in July is only you know, usurped by Christmas in a fiery furnace, right? God with us. And therefore, as Christ has come to be with us, to be our deliverer, And as he has delivered his people then, so he delivers his people now. And therefore, there is a Christ to trust. Though the world be against us, though as we sang about, all hell should be against us, yet there is a Christ who is with us, and a Christ who will deliver us. What we see proleptically, we see beforehand already, is Jesus' promise at the end of his gospel in the Gospel of Matthew, when he says to his disciples to go, right, go out into the world, make disciples, teach them to observe all that I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a comforting promise to have. You may have to endure great things for this name of Christ, And very likely you will. Those who will enter the kingdom endure trials and face tribulation. That's the path that Christ has laid before us to enter the kingdom. But know this and take comfort that Christ is with you in all of it. He who has overcome the world is with you. And as he saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from death and the flames of of hell, 
so too he will deliver his people, no matter what may come against us. And therefore, we have great courage in this life. And therefore, we do not take matters into our own hands, but entrust ourselves to the Lord. And we overcome by, as the book of Revelation tells us, and we said last week, by our faithful testimony, by our faithful witness, loving not our lives even unto death. And no matter the consequences, we know that the God, our God, will deliver us. Whether in this life or in the life to come, he will raise our bodies to eternal life. Samuel Rutherford, an old, I believe he's a Puritan, had said this as comfort for God's people. He says, Providence, God's outworking of his plan in history, has a thousand keys to open a thousand sundry doors for the deliverance of his own God is not stuck into delivers people in one way or another. And in many times, what could Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have looked to in that moment to say, how will God bring us out of this? Yet God has a thousand keys to open a thousand doors for, for the deliverance of his own. And the final key, of course, is of death itself. The, death of, uh, uh, the key of death in Hades, Christ himself holds in his hand, and he will open that door even to bring his people through it. And therefore, as we think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we think about the Lord's uh, deliverance of his people here, we are then encouraged to trust in our, in our Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to trust that he will be with us, and therefore let us bear faithful witness to the world around us, not bowing to the images they set up, but worshiping only the one true and living God, and in him and in his Son find life, even life everlasting, The one who saves his life, like those who bowed before the image, will lose it. But those who lose their life for Christ's sake, they will find it. And it is life everlasting. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this encouraging story of the past in which you delivered your people by sending the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. Father, thank you that you are with us even in the fiery furnace. You were with your people in Egypt when you brought them out. You were with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the flames themselves. And you are with us even to the end of the age. And so, Father, may we be courageous and bold for the name of Christ. May we not be timid and intimidated to bow before the images that man sets up. But may we bear faithful witness to you in this life, loving not our lives even unto death, and trusting that you truly do have a thousand keys to open a thousand doors for the deliverance of us, your people. Help us to trust you more and more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.